The following sermon was delivered by Associate Pastor Sarah A. Speed in the Sanctuary of Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with us every Sunday, in person, or on live stream. For details, go to fapc.org. And now, here's Reverend Speed. Friends, good morning. How are we? It's good to see you all. Our text for today is set in the book of Acts, which means it is a story from the early church. And the scripture passage is broken up into two parts. First, Peter has a vision, a conversation with God. And then Peter goes to meet a man named Cornelius. So to help us absorb this holy and longer story, I have asked two of our FIA members to help me read. So I'd like to invite up Call and Lydia now as we prepare to hear a good word from God. And then before we turn to scripture, let us center our hearts in prayer. Friends, join me in prayer. Holy God, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word stands forever. So help us to hear it. Amen. Friends, a reading from Acts chapter 10. About noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him a second time, Be clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, and the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. Now, while Peter was greatly puzzled about what to make of the vision he had seen, suddenly men sent by Cornelius appeared. They were asking for Simon's house and were standing by the gate. They called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Look, three men are searching for you. Now get up, go down, and go with them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? They answered, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish people, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear what you have to say. So Peter invited them in and gave them lodging. The next day he got up and went with them and some of the brothers and sisters from Joppa. They, the following day they came to Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and closest friends. On Peter's arrival, Cornelius met him and falling at his feet, worshipped him. But Peter made him stand up, saying, 
stand up. I am only mortal. But as he talked with him, he went in and found that many had assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know that it is improper for a Jew to associate with or to visit an outsider. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, Can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they invited him to stay for several days. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you. One of the things you learn quickly when you get married is how many things you have a strong opinion about. There are things that don't really matter at the end of the day, things that are objectively trivial, but you sign that marriage certificate and all of the sudden there is a right way to load the dishwasher and that just might be a hill you're willing to die on. Premarital counseling will talk to you about your finances and love languages and how to have a long and healthy romance. But what your premarital counselor will not tell you is that at least 50% of marriage conflicts start over the thermostat temperature or the placement of the kitchen sponge after it gets used. I grew up in a household where nothing was left on the kitchen counter. That was the rule. My mother wanted to be able to wipe down the kitchen counters without any interference. So every gadget and utensil had to be placed in the cabinet. Toaster, in the cabinet. Blender, in the cabinet. Cutting board, in the cabinet. That was the rule. My husband, however, and this is how we know God has a sense of humor, <laughs> grew up in a family where everything was on the counter all the time. The cabinets were really just for decor. If you needed a kitchen appliance, you never had to look far. If you needed a good place to hide for hide-and-go-seek, well, there were room in the cabinets. That was their rule. Ryan and I got married about two years ago, which is still the best decision of my life. But you would have thought, with how long it took us to organize our kitchen, that God, in all God's glory, had not only designed the temple cubit by cubit, but had also left a blueprint for a pure and righteous kitchen. We could have easily debated every little thing, but we didn't. We didn't because marriage is not about being right. And I know that now that I've said that, my husband is probably already emailing the video crew asking to get a recorded copy of this sermon, but it's true. Marriage isn't about being right. Marriage is about loving someone as best as you can day in and day out. And sometimes 
that means you have a blender on your kitchen counter. When you love someone, it changes you. We see that truth in our scripture passage for today. God's love changes Peter, and Peter's love changes the church. When you love, it changes you. Our scripture passage for today begins with Peter praying on the roof. And Peter has a vision while he's praying. He sees a sheet being lowered to the earth, and on the sheet there are all sorts of animals. And as the sheet of animals is being lowered towards Peter, Peter hears God's voice telling him to get up, to kill, and to eat. Now, if you know anything about ancient Jewish traditions, then you know this command to eat is the last thing Peter would have expected. I can just hear Peter's response in my head. I can imagine him saying to God, Sorry, God, it sounded like you were telling me to eat. Maybe my Wi-Fi dropped or you drove through a tunnel because surely that's not what you meant to say. In Deuteronomy 14, you, God, said that we weren't allowed to eat camels or rabbits or pigs or carrion birds or winged insects. So once again, just to make sure I heard you correctly, what? God gives Peter a vision of animals being lowered to the ground in front of him. And then God tells Peter to eat. It's the last thing Peter expects because Peter grew up in a household that probably did not keep things on the kitchen counter. But he definitely grew up in a household that did not eat birds or pigs or rabbits. So Peter says, God, I, I can't eat these animals. I have never eaten these animals. I have followed all the religious laws and rules. Peter was a devout Jew. But God's not really talking about animals in this passage. Have any of you ever had one of those conversations where you think you're talking about something, but you're actually talking about something entirely different? That's what's happening in this text. Peter thinks he and God are having a conversation about religious food laws. But God isn't actually talking about food at all. God is using this vision of animals as a metaphor to talk about God's love for all of creation. So Peter says, God, I can't eat anything unclean. And God responds, do not Call anything that I have made unclean. God is not talking about animals. God is not having a conversation with Peter about religious rules or laws. God is talking about God's love for God's people. God is talking about acceptance, about what it means to follow Christ. God is telling Peter how to be the church. And because God loves God's creation, it opens something in Peter. The text tells us that as soon as God finishes speaking, there's a knock at the door. Three men show up with a message for Peter from a Gentile named Cornelius. 
They tell Peter that Cornelius has also had a vision, and Cornelius' vision has told him to meet with Peter. Now, there are many reasons why Peter may not have wanted to meet with Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile, and Jews and Gentiles traditionally did not get along. But in addition to that, Cornelius was part of the Roman army, and Rome was actively oppressing the Jewish people, so it would have been easy for Peter to write Cornelius' off. But God's love changes something in Peter. God urges him to go. And so Peter puts his shoes on. And Peter goes to Cornelius' house. And when Peter arrives there, he says, You yourselves know that it is improper for a Jew to associate with or visit an outsider. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. And in that single line, Peter changes the history of the church. Peter went to Cornelius' house. He taught and he preached. He stayed with them for days. He ate with Cornelius and his family. And in the last line of our scripture passage, the text tells us that Peter baptizes those Roman Gentiles in the name of Jesus Christ. That was not allowed before, but God's love for creation changes Peter, and Peter changes the church. Peter changes the world. That's what love does. When I served as a youth pastor in Texas, I had two different students from two different families that identified as transgender. As a prayerful bystander, I watched those families move through that process together. In each scenario, the students eventually went to their parents. They told them who they believed themselves to be in their core, their true and authentic self. The parents were often surprised. Sometimes they would feel guilty that they hadn't known or noticed sooner. Sometimes they were afraid for the safety of their child. Sometimes they felt at a loss for words, unsure of what transgender really meant. But when the dust began to settle around those initial conversations, parents did the same thing. They began researching. Those parents would email me and tell me that they were watching documentaries and reading books and they started talking with therapists and they met with doctors and they listened to their child and they talked to each other and they talked with the pastors and they cried and dreamed and prayed. It was a transition. And few transitions in life are easy. But as those parents began to see their children as their children saw themselves, I watched those teenagers come to life. And then a few months after that, Texas began passing bills that made it a crime for parents 
to help their children get the gender-affirming medical care that they wanted. And I saw the lights in those teenagers' eyes begin to dim again. Now, regardless of what you believe politically, and regardless of how comfortable or educated you are with gender identities, laws that sets limits for specific groups of people based on identity sound a lot like us deciding who is clean or unclean. And when we allow ourselves to decide somebody else's worth, then we act like we know more about what is righteous and clean and good than God does. And friends, that is dangerous and arrogant territory. Peter said, I cannot eat anything unclean. And God said, do not call my creation unclean. God's message is clear. God has created and created good. So it is our job as the church to do everything that we can to love people well, exactly how God made them. For did you notice that Peter didn't go to Cornelius' house and demand that they eat kosher? Peter didn't go to Cornelius' house and try to make him less of a Gentile and more of a Jew. Peter went to Cornelius' house and ate his food and baptized his family in the name of Jesus Christ because God had made them who they were. Our job as the church is never to say who is clean or unclean because we will be wrong from the start. Our job as the church is to love like God loves because that love can change the world. A few years back, my husband Ryan had a group of friends that were hanging out on a Friday night at a local brewery. They were having a guy's night, probably playing darts or something, catching up. That, I think that was my dart throw. That was more of a football. Eventually, they all sat down around a wooden table to finish their last drink. And while they were there, one of the guys in the group shared at the table that he was gay. He'd been carrying that secret inside of him for years, so understandably, he was emotional as he shared it. The guys that night all took turns listening and affirming, but the tears came anyhow. And at the end of the night, when the bartender brought the check, they noticed that the bartender had written at the bottom, I promise it gets better. Friends, I believe that. I believe that things will get better. Because I believe that God's love for God's creation changed Peter. And I believe that Peter's love for his neighbor, Cornelius, changed the church. And if that is possible there, then our love for this hurting world can change things too. Society has spent so much time arrogantly debating the worth of our LGBTQ brothers and sisters over the course of history. But in this text, God clearly says, do not debate my creation's worth. Do not call others unclean because all belong to God. So trusting in that good news, 
let us follow in Peter's footsteps. Trusting in that, let us do everything that we possibly can to continue making this church and this world a more welcoming and loving pace. Let us be like Peter and go out of our way to love others for exactly who they are, exactly as God made them to be. For if we do that, then maybe one day we won't have to say, I promise it gets better. If we do that, then maybe one day we'll wake up and realize it is better. Friends, I believe in that promised day. I believe in that promised day because I believe in people like Peter and I believe in people like you. So may we love like it will change the world because it already has. Thanks be to God. Amen. Family of faith, today is a celebration because we remember that all belong to God and that is always worth delighting in. So after this service, I hope you will join us for coffee hour because it is not a normal coffee hour. Today is a special Pride Sunday coffee hour and we would love to see you there. And as you leave this place, may you love as if love is not a scarcity. May you hope like there is a better tomorrow. May you live like we belong to one another, because we do. And may you trust that nothing can separate you from the love of God. In the name of the lover, the beloved, and love itself, go now in peace, go now in joy. We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and given you a measure of hope, encouragement, and good news. If you would like to make a donation to support this audio ministry, please visit fapc.org give. Thank you and blessings to you on this day.